And, uh, but today we're going to continue our uh, series on the cost of discipleship. We're going to continue to talk about uh, discipleship. What does it mean? What, what is it actually going to cost us? God, uh, Jesus tells us that we need to count the cost before we follow Him. It is something that's really important. We don't start this journey without understanding it because then we figure out, oh my gosh, this is actually going to be really uh, difficult. So we're going to talk about the cost. And last week we talked about how Jesus meets us here. His grace is such that He meets us here, but then as He graces us where we are, He also then calls us to follow Him, right? We talked about Him saying, anyone would come after me, would arrive at me, come follow me. And what's the cost of following Him? Jesus says, is to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily. Now, we dealt with that last week, so I don't want to talk about that anymore. That's on our podcast. You can go listen to that. I think it's a really important message for us to understand. This whole idea of Jesus meets us here, and Jesus calls us to also go there with Him. And today, I'm going to talk about interruptions. Does anyone here like to be interrupted? Really? Not, not a single person? I have met some people that actually enjoy interruptions, mainly because they are not doing anything significant with their lives, and so they're always waiting for someone to interrupt them from the mundaneness of what is going on. But, you know, that's a different story. I think most of us, when we're doing something, we don't like being interrupted, right? And, you know, um, two years ago, I had the greatest interruption of all time when uh, my dear Samuel was placed uh, in Bex in my life, and we love him dearly. Uh, you would have seen him. He's a little bit uh, sensitive today, and so he wanted to stay with us for a little bit longer. Uh, but, you know, Sam is great, and he is also a great interruption. Before Sam, in the morning, I had a wonderful schedule. I had a wonderful routine. I will wake up. I would um, brush my teeth, freshen up, and then uh, I would tend to do a workout and then maybe have breakfast and read my Bible at the same time, taking my leisurely time with that, have a coffee, and then go shower up, and then I can start work whenever I want to. That was a distant memory. That is a distant memory for me now. Now when I wake up, I'm rushing. I still try to do a workout because I know health is important. So I do a workout and Beck is looking after Sam and getting him ready for the day. And then uh, once he, I finish my workout, Beck and I swap and I start to look after Sam and I have my breakfast and then Beck does her workout and then we both uh, interchange. I go for a shower, Beck is looking after Sam and then after that I look after Sam while Beck has a shower. And then if we're lucky, I get out the door at a time that I want to get out the door. And in the midst of all that morning, I don't have the time to read my Bible because I have a son who's extremely social and he likes being with people all the time. And so he is always asking for attention and I love giving him attention. But sometimes in the morning, I don't want to really give him attention. And so there is this tension inside of me because I love my son, but at the moment he is an interruption to my life. And then I get home from work, and I used to have a wonderful routine when I got home from work. More than two years ago, when I finished work, you know, I can finish work at whatever time that I feel uh, generally is good for the day. I, I love the work that I do. I love leading Lyft, and, and so I would uh, finish work, and then I would get home, and I would have some downtime. I will have a little bit of time just for myself. Generally, that would look like me uh, playing a couple of games of FIFA and then getting ready for dinner. And then Beck and I will have a dinner that is uninterrupted. 
and wonderful, and then we would get ready for the night meetings that we would have. And I would be refreshed because in that uh, time that I had, the downtime that I had, it was enough for me to get ready. I am an introvert by nature, and so I don't always love being with people. I love people, don't always love being with people. And so I'll recharge, I would have my downtime, and then go for more meetings and meet with people, lead people, whatever it is that I needed to do. Now I get home from work, and Beck and I need to touch base because now we don't work together. But in the midst of this, what should be a 20 to 30 minute conversation about how's your day going, what's been the main things that have taken place, what are some things that you are faced with, what are some interesting things, it should be a half hour conversation, often balloons out to about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Why? Because of interruptions. And then after that conversation, uh, I would look after Sam while uh, Beck is generally getting dinner ready. And um, during that time, I'm wanting some downtime. I need some downtime. That's how I feel. It's a long day at work. Some days I meet with lots of people and I'm just like tired out. But Sam needs attention because Sam is a social being that is a complete opposite from me. Sam thinks that people are the greatest. I think people are the greatest at times. And so Sam wants me to sit with him, and so I go into the room and I compromise. And I realized I was doing this, I bring my phone in because I loaded up the Kindle app. I've got a couple of books on it. I also loaded up a couple of games on it because, you know, I just want to do mindless things. And so I'll get into my game, I'll get into my book while being in the same room as Sam because quite often that's all he needs. Except that that's not always all that he needs. All right, and so he start crawling all over me and start wanting me to do things with him. And then he gets agitated when I don't do what he wants, when he wants. And lately, one of the things that he loves is that when I have my phone out, he will come to me and he will say this, meow. Why? Because I showed him cat videos <laughs> on my phone. And he loves cat videos. The most Sam ever laughs are cat videos where the cat is getting ready to pounce at the screen and he will cack himself, he will laugh for like five minutes and when I stop that he cries because he's sad that the cat's not pouncing at him anymore. And so he will do all these things and I'm like, man, what an interruption. And you know, I was thinking about that, isn't our journey with God quite interrupted? How many of you actually feel like you have a routine that works perfectly with God, where you know things just kind of fit completely into place, and, and your walk with God is completely where you think it should be, and, that's, and, and it's perfect. I think most of us understand that our walk with God is interrupted at best of times. There are things that come in into our lives that interrupt it. And, and, and there's so much that is going on that leads to interruptions in our walk with God. And so today I want to talk about those interruptions. I want to give us a bit of perspective as to how we are to lead our, or, or have our time with God, how we to invest our time with God uh, in the midst of interruptions. And I've got one verse that we're going to camp on today, and that's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 14. And it says this, there's actually one of the shortest parables that Jesus spoke. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. See, when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about 
heaven, heaven. Let's be really clear about this. You know, when we talk about heaven, heaven, most of us have this concept that is a place of great beauty, is a place of great peace, is a place of great rest. Jesus himself says that this place in heaven, there'll be no weeping, there'll be no frustration, the gnashing of teeth, there'll be no anger, there'll be no evil. It is a wonderful place. Most of us would agree that heaven is a beautiful place, right? The kingdom of heaven isn't so much heaven itself, but the kingdom of heaven is talking about the place where God's authority and God's rule is accepted and lived out. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about whether people have accepted and are living out God's reign and rule in their lives. When Jesus first started his public ministry, he went around saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is coming. And then a little while later, people must have responded because Jesus then said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. We get to experience the kingdom of heaven now. And while I'm not saying that that is necessarily that you get to experience all of heaven itself, but you are starting to experience what it can be like because you're experiencing a place where God's reign and rule is established in your life. And that is really what discipleship is all about. It's about coming to this place where God's reign and rule is number one in your life, right? Discipleship is about becoming more like Christ. That's really what it all is all about. It's, I'm becoming more Christ-like. What is more Christ-like than someone who is completely submitted and enjoying and living out and being obedient to God's reign and rule, right? So the kingdom of heaven is absolutely a central part of each and every one of our Christian faith. If we don't like the kingdom of heaven, we aren't really being Christian. Let me just put it this way, okay? And so with that in mind, when we look at this parable, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. And I want you to pause and I want you to think and reflect in this moment. Is God's authority... Is God's rule, is God's, are God's instructions treasure to me? Not so much the heaven part. I know that all of us treasure the heaven part. No more sickness, no more death, no more striving, no more struggle. I want that too. But in order to get to that place of being able to enjoy all that heaven has for us, we need to know who made heaven in the first place, which is God. And so the treasure for us isn't so much what God can do, but whether we are actually in sync with God. Is that a treasure for you? Are God's words and instructions treasure to you? Do you treasure your walk with God? Or do you struggle with it? Or do you see it as optional? Or do you see it as an interruption in your life? See, something I realize about interruptions is that an interruption reveals to me what I'm seeing as important. See, when I had this whole conundrum with the phone and Sam situation, I wanted to spend time with Sam and I wanted to have downtime. 
I thought both of those things were important. However, both were interrupting each other. I wasn't truly treasuring both my time with Sam and also my downtime because I wasn't doing either of them well. So is Sam an interruption? It certainly felt like he was. When I'm trying just to have a little bit of juice in my soul, this boy and his demands was not very treasured by me. And I'm like, oh, come on. Let's just chuck the TV on and you'll be happy and I will be too. But then when I started to realize that, hang on, and this was a few uh, weeks ago, actually, I started to realize Sam develops at a rate that I don't control. One day, he doesn't want dad to be around him. That might be three years, that might be 10 years, I don't know. I hope that we'll have a relationship where that's still something that he wants, but he's definitely not going to be sitting in my lap when he's 18 years old. And that's 16 years in the future, but two years have already gone, and they've gone just like that. And so I've got to realize that this is a moment that I need to treasure this more, because I'm not going to have this forever. And what I have right now is precious and a treasure. So what is the true interruption? For me, I've learned, and I'm learning, it's the phone. I'm also learning that I need downtime because if I don't have downtime, Sam, I just can't handle Sam. He's just too much energy for me. But I need to do that in a different way in order that I have, I tr I, I, I'm putting in the effort for what I treasure. When it comes to the things of God, if you don't really see God as the treasure, so many things else become the interruption. Am I right? Oh yeah, I need to do this, I need to do fitness, I need to do health, I need to have a job, I need to do my education, I need to have my downtime, I need to have this, I need to have that. And then God is like, you'll be part of my life when it's not an interruption, when it works for me. That's not how treasures work. That's not how treasures work. And let me say something else about this passage that we're looking at. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And this is, I was thinking about this. It's like, why did Jesus add that detail in there? Why was it a hidden treasure? And I realized that this is why following God is sometimes so hard, is because no one else sees the treasure that God is in this world other than those who are pursuing Him. So when you want to pursue God, and when you want to treasure God, other people look at what you are pursuing and go, that's just a normal field, people. Why are you investing all of your time and your energy and your effort into something that is normal? In fact, in our society today, they will look at the pursuit of God and they will say, why are you chasing after fairies and something that is old-fashioned and something that you don't need? They will see it as obsolete and irrelevant. And our job is not to make them see that it really is a treasure. Our job is to go, it is a treasure, and you're being a distraction to me. So let me put it to you in a practical way. If you have a job, and your boss doesn't care about your practices in terms of you following Jesus and what is important to you, it's not their job to see that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. It's your job. 
when you have a friendship, a relationship, a significant other person in your life that doesn't understand your pursuit of God and doesn't want to support your pursuit of God, it is not their responsibility to see that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. It is yours. You are the one that is pursuing the kingdom of heaven. You are the one that has realized that is a treasure. And what is important for you is to actually live as though the kingdom of heaven is a treasure so that the people that don't understand that it's a treasure will go, hang on, if you are giving your life to this, it must be significant. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? When we live as though those who only see the field but not the treasure are right, no one gets the treasure. No one gets the treasure. And that is a significant issue with the church in Australia and in Western contexts. We had biblical values built into the foundation of this nation and then we're moving away from them if you do your research if you look at history a lot of the values that we treasure and have today are because of christian values it was the kingdom that was hidden in the field that we are basing our society on but we've moved away from it and so often because it was something that we enjoyed for so long we no longer treasure it like the way we should. And we are at risk as a church, not just our church, but the church in, at large in Australia, in living in a way where the kingdom is obsolete, where the kingdom is the interruption rather than the treasure. So I ask you today, is the kingdom of heaven a treasure for you? So in this parable, the man finds the treasure, and then he covers it back up. I thought it was really interesting. Like, why will you cover it up? That's so anti what God was saying. We need to be, you know, really spreading it around, spread the good news, right? We need to be uh, uh, making disciples of all nations. Why did this man cover it up? Because he didn't possess it yet. Because he did not possess the treasure yet. You see, some of us are so captured by the need to do something with our lives that we don't actually get to that place where we have worked on possessing the kingdom for ourselves. Uh, as a youth pastor in particular, I see many young people that want to be activated in their faith. They want to do something with their lives, do something significant with their lives. But do they have the practices the discipline, the foundation that will actually lead to them doing this for a long time yet. In fact, it's unfortunate, but my profession is a profession with high burnout rates, with a lot of people leaving disgruntled, angry, broken. Many of you in this room might have even experienced broken ministry and pastors that maybe have said and done things out of their flesh because... They're still human after all. I'm still human after all. You might have been hurt by me. I don't know. You haven't told me. Maybe you should. Maybe don't. Not today. Tomorrow. Text me tomorrow. I'll be better tomorrow. But you know, 
Are we building that foundation? Are we possessing, have we pursued the kingdom to the point where we are actually able to carry it wherever we go? I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't have mission. I'm trying to say that this man found a treasure and knew that he needed to possess it first before uncovering it. I don't want everyone else to receive the kingdom and for me to lose out. (laughs) And I've seen many ministers that have burned themselves out. Many good, well-intentioned Christians that have burned themselves out because they sought a treasure, they gave it to everyone else, but they didn't possess it for themselves. And so what does this man do? This man goes with joy, by the way, because he realizes that it's a treasure, and he sells all that he has, and then he buys that field. He possesses it. How does he possess it? by giving everything else up. See, the cost of discipleship, many people have said this before, you might have heard it, cost of discipleship is your life. But I want to point something out. See, in our Western context, saying that I'm willing to give my life to Jesus doesn't have the same ring as if you are a Christian in Afghanistan or Syria. I don't have a gun to my head with someone saying, renounce Christianity or else. In other words, the chances of me losing my life, literally speaking, to follow Christ is a big fat zero. I don't see it happening. I mean, something can still happen. Maybe it's a point zero 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 one percent chance. But what I'm trying to put out here is that I think I would give many of you the benefit of doubt. If push, push came to shove, if someone put a gun to your head, I think that many people here would go, no, I am a Jesus follower. And you would dare to lose your life for the sake of Christianity, for the sake of Jesus Christ. But how many of us are willing to live for Jesus. Many of us are willing to die for Jesus, but how many of us are willing to live for Jesus? How many of us are are willing to live in the everyday moments and the struggles of following Jesus in the everyday? How many of us are going to make those decisions that are denying ourselves and taking up our cross in order to follow Jesus? You know, I've done marriage counseling a number of times, and um, it's, it's something that I take great, um, is, is a great weight because I want to set people up. And I, I have noticed that there are some people that, you know, the guys are always so noble. I'll die for you, babe. I'll die for you. Will you do the washing? Oh, no, that's her job. <laughs> so I'll die for you, babe. Will you say I love you every single day, looking into her face and give her a hug? No, she should know it because I did the vows. And I've given her a ring. She should know that she's loved, right? Hang on, hang on. Don't say that you're going to die for someone if you're not going to live for them. And so Christ asks, not so much, I don't think in this context, this message might not fly in the Middle East. But for us to actually live for Christ, this man sold all that he had for a hidden treasure that no one else knew about. 
This man gave up his job, left friends and family, possibly. In fact, the disciples did. They left everything to follow Jesus. I'm not saying that you quit your jobs, but I'm saying, is your job living for Christ? Is doing your vocation living for Christ? Is doing parenthood the way that you are doing parenthood? Is that living for Christ? Are your friendships living for Christ? Are your daily practices living for Christ? Is the way that you're managing your finances living for Christ? Because don't come in here and say they're going to die for Christ when you're not willing to live for Christ. It's not about one moment of surrender. It is about a daily surrender to what God's will is. Remember that the kingdom of heaven isn't about the blessings and the nice things. It's actually about the reign and rule of God. And as long as God is still trying to establish His reign over the whole earth, there is still a mission for us as Christians. And understand that the fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of the expression of what God wants to do is not here yet. And so there is going to be a struggle. So is the kingdom an interruption or is it a treasure for you? Is the way that you're thinking about your life living for Christ or not? I know there might be some really hard things that I'm saying in this, and I don't mean to say this as a condemnation. I'm saying this as an encouragement because the fact that you are here today means that you get to choose. What does your life look like if God came first? What does your life look like if you were doing exactly what God was asking you to do? I bet a whole bunch of people in this room would say, I don't know what God's asking me to do. Maybe the first thing you should be doing is actually getting to a place where you're possessing the kingdom. You are saying, this is my sole focus. Yes, you have your job, you have your life, you have your family, you have your friends. I get that. That's all important. But that all goes to waste if there's no central anchor in Christ. I'm not saying that you necessarily go to a monastery in order to find God. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm trying to say, is there that something inside of you that goes, I need to learn how to see God first. When I was preparing this message, I started to think about this whole idea of interruption or treasure. And even just simply reflecting on it, I started to notice that I was making a lot of interruptions my treasures, and a lot of treasures my interruptions. Simply by realizing what is the interruption and the treasure has helped me make better decisions for Christ this week. And that's what I'm asking for you to do. See, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love this verse. As a person who has studied a lot of uh, psychology, I love the whole idea, the renewing of the mind that brings about the transformation in our lives. But I've never really focused too much on the first verse, which, first verse which says, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I was thinking about that this week. Why did Paul say bodies? 
why didn't God, uh, why didn't Paul just say, give all of your lives, present your lives as a living sacrifice? He very specifically talked about bodies. And the thing about Paul's theology is that our earthly bodies are very much attached to the earthly desires and attached to this earthly world. It often symbolizes the earthly nature, the earth that is trying to live without its creator, right? We talked about that last week when we talked about the word cosmos. And I think what Paul was saying here is that even though I know that I've got my habits, I've got my perspectives, I've got my way of understanding things, I've got my experiences, I've got in that way my truth, I get to present all of that to God as my living sacrifice. The renewal of our mind, the transformation in our lives doesn't happen if we don't take us, all that we've experienced and all that we've gone through and all that we know and say, God, I'm lifting all of this to you as a living sacrifice. I've heard too many people say that my past has made me this way. And so that's going to be me. I've heard too many people say that that's just part of my personality, and so that's just me. That's how it always has been and it's how it's always going to be. And when I look at this verse, I see that that's a person that is unwilling to present their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. I've heard this verse spoken about many times where people have said, you need to have a healthy body, you need to be doing all these things to make sure that you are healthy in your body. And, and all. Yes, but more than that, it's your mindsets. It's your experiences. It's your truth. One of the things that I think is so seriously evil in today's world is the notion that my experience and my truth is more important than any other truth. And especially if you have been a victim, then that becomes a real serious truth. And so if you belong to an oppressed group, suddenly your truth becomes more significant than mine. Now, I'm an Asian migrant, and so my truth apparently is not even that low. If you find a white Aussie, who's been an Aussie for about 150 years, that person's truth, because you've never been oppressed, means nothing. That's what a lot of the cultural philosophies are coming through today. What is God saying about all of that? God is saying there is one truth, and that's what He's saying. So yes, I've been hurt. Yes, I've been broken. Yes, I've done things that I'm ashamed of. Yes, there are things that I don't like. Yes, there are defense mechanisms in my life. Yes, there's a certain personality that I seem to have and I think is what I've been born with. There are things that are natural to me. But hang on, if I need to possess the kingdom, I need to give up all of this lifestyle in order to live according to what God is saying. The cost of discipleship is your lifestyle. In that way, I think some people's lifestyle is more important than their life itself. But are we getting to a place where my lifestyle 
is in alignment with God. My likes and my dislikes. How I use my time. Does your lifestyle reflect that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure? Or does your lifestyle reflect that God has a one and a half hour time slot per week for you? And for some people, that's not even sacred anymore. Don't hear any of this with any condemnation. I'm saying this because I think it's necessary to say this. But the things of God need to be sacred, a treasure in your life. If not, is your lifestyle really reflecting God? The Bible tells us about regularly meeting together. The Bible tells us about worshiping every single moment of every single day. The Bible tells us about receiving persecution in our life because we are trying to follow God. The Bible tells us some really heavy stuff about the cost. So if you want to follow Christ, great. You are on a journey to pursue life. I love the songs that we've been singing this morning. You are life. You are love. You are everything. It's your breath that fills my lungs. Me pursuing God is not something really that I choose. It's something that I think is it's the only logical way of living. But yet, I'm still distracted and interrupted. But I want to make a conscious effort, I do, to have my lifestyle reflect my love for God. Me reading the Bible in 30 days, God willing, is not to show off anything, but it's a challenge that I had to go, hang on, I really want to do this. I actually want to know the full story of the Bible, and I want to commit this time. I want to fast. You know, Beck and I were talking about this. We didn't do a fast at the start of the year, and I feel like, hang on, I haven't actually done that, and I feel like I'm missing out. And I want to have that kind of sense about the things of God. Hey, you know what? I haven't been with the church family all of this week. I can't wait to be with the church family. I can't wait to worship with the church family. I haven't really been praying. I I really want to, and I'm going to do that. I haven't been getting into my word. I really want to. Can I ask that you ask yourself where you're at with God? If we can get the band up this morning, and um, host team, if you can um, distribute the emblems. We're going to have communion now. Because in the midst of all of this, I don't want us to get the message that I need to do something for God to love me. That's not it. This is not about me earning God's acceptance or approval. In fact, what we're about to partake of this morning is remembering His approval. Remembering the price that He paid for my life. And as we take this moment to reflect, 
I hope that you get to a place where you're like, you have to say, I can't give you anything less than all of my life. So as you hold those emblems in your hand, can I just pray? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.